From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is Crosswalk. Times have changed. How do you reach a community that has no interest in the church, eternal matters, and no interest in knowing Jesus? In his day, how did Jesus do it? Pastor Clay is on vacation and will be returning to the Crossroads series next week. This week, Pastor and Emergency Chaplain Ralph Thompson shares three steps to reaching our community from Matthew chapter 9. Here's Ralph. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. Did y'all know that? Appreciate your pastor. Hey, I want to tell you, I I was on staff with uh, Clay Stevens for almost 10 years. He was my direct supervisor. I've never had a kinder, more gentle man to work for. A more godly man, a man that I saw return blessing for cursing, uh, a man that, that stood firm for the gospel. And I want to know, I want you to let him know how much you appreciate him, not just this month, but, but every month. And show some love to Cindy, too. How about that? Hey, I wanted to show you this sticker. This is our prayer team sticker. I brought, um, brought a lot of these with me. I put some on a couple of tables, but I'll have some after. I, I'd love for everybody at Cross Culture Church to put one of these on the back window of your car. And if you'll put one of these on the back window, uh, I'd say on the left-hand side, down low, put it on glass is the best place. Don't put it on a painted surface. It, you know, it is sticky. But um, if you'll put that on the back window of your car, it will let our first responders, our police officers, our firefighters, our sheriff's deputies, our highway patrolmen, our paramedics, our telecommunicators, it'll let them know that somebody's praying for them. It's really important that they see these stickers and they know that somebody's praying for them but there's a fringe benefit for you if you'll put this sticker on your car you'll never get another speeding ticket (laughs) now y'all think i'm kidding but i can tell you several stories about where the somebody got stopped and they were they were caught red-handed in sin they 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 had been stopped by a trooper or, or a sheriff's deputy or a police officer and they came to the car and they came to the window and said are you a chaplain and thank God it was none of my chaplains, but it was our, some of our prayer team. And, you know, they told them, thank you for praying for us. Uh, please slow down. Now, if you affix this sticker to your car, what I want you to do is obey all traffic laws so you don't have to, you don't have to test the sticker. Can you all do that for me? I want you to please do that. Now, how do you get um, on our prayer team? If you take one of these stickers, I want you to consider going on our prayer team. This next slide will show us. Uh, show you my email address and my phone number you can text me and you can text me right now if you want to I know some of y'all are going to follow the scripture on your telephone some of y'all going to be checking Facebook and I'm telling you that's a sin don't be doing it while I'm preaching but uh, I mean it's just an age that we live in my phone is on uh, do not disturb so you can text me all day long and tell me add me to uh, the prayer team you can send me an email what I want is your name I'll have your your phone number, but I need your email address because twice a month we're going to send you an email that has prayer requests. If you're not already getting those prayer requests, we would love to uh, share those with you. Um, when uh, at emergency chaplains, we, we pray a lot for our first responders. Right now, I just would mention to you a matter of prayer today. Uh, there's going to be a, a funeral for a state trooper who was shot and killed uh, just last week in, uh, in the line of duty on a traffic stop. That's this afternoon. It's in, it's in Whiteville, North Carolina. Uh, pray for that family. I, I, uh, his name was uh, Kevin Connor. I don't remember his wife's name, and, but he had two young children, a boy and a girl. You know, pray for this family that, that God would put his arms of comfort around them. Here's a man who dedicated his life to standing on the thin blue line for you and for me to protect us from evil. And he died in the line of duty. He, when he signed up, he knew that this was a possibility. And this family, they're going to be without their husband, their dad. You know, pray for that family and, and look for ways to pray for them. I, I tell you a good way, you look at that, you put that sticker on your car, and every time you walk by your car, remember to pray for somebody that you know that's a first responder. Pray for them by name. Pray for them by name. You've got, you have first responders that are part of this fellowship. Pray for them by name that God would, would, uh, would guard them, would keep them safe as they go about their work. Thank God for them. I, I, I want to I say thank you. Cross Culture Church, this is your 10th anniversary year. And it's, it's Emergency Chaplain's 10th anniversary year. So we were born about the same time. And for the last 10 years, almost the entire time that we've been in ministry and your church has been, uh, been meeting, 
you have supported the, uh, the ministry of emergency chaplains. And I want to say thank you for your faithful support to our ministry. It's because of your faithful support that we're able to, to send 54 chaplains out to do ministry in 12 different counties in North Carolina now. And our goal is to put chaplains, a sustainable chaplains ministry, as you saw in the video, in every county in the state of North Carolina. 100 counties, we only have 88 to go. God can do it. And I'm glad that y'all are a part of it, and I pray that you'll continue to be a part of the ministry that we're doing at Emergency Chaplains. Um, there's a couple of components. Let me, for those of you who don't know about our ministry, there's two main components to two emergency chaplains. I'll give you a quick primer, and, and then I'm going to turn over to um, um, Matthew chapter 9. I know you're a note-taking church because your pastor is the sermonator. I mean, that, that dude is the sermonator. So be sure and write these numbers down this, if, if you don't have an opportunity. I want you to be on our prayer team. I want to be connected with you individually. I want you to pray for us. So as we, as we move uh, to, to that uh, to looking at that scripture today, I want to talk to you about this scripture that I'm getting ready to show you. It's Matthew chapter 9, and it is the guide for the ministry of emergency chaplains. It, it, is, it is the guide for our ministry. We, we take the gospel to people that are in crisis, and we do that with two major components. Those two components are, number one, we're the chaplains for the first responders. It's sort of a military model where we go out and we build relationships with them. We go to their stations. We go to where they work. Uh, we do ride-alongs with uh, uh, law enforcement and EMS. We get out there with them and build relationships so that when they have a life crisis, they'll turn to us. And I'm going to talk to you about you staking your claim right where you are, where you have that same kind of relationship, not necessarily with first responders, but just with the people that you already know. And I want to talk to you about that in just a few minutes from, from Matthew chapter 9. The second component of our ministry is our crisis response team. Our crisis response team operates in Durham County and Person County, and we want that team to operate in every county in the state. That, that's how we plan to introduce our ministry to new counties. And what that team does is they assist the same first responders that our other guys are already serving. And these folks go, typically, their call is where somebody just died. Most, most every call that we have last year in the calendar year 2017 in Durham County, our chaplains went to over 400 calls for service where someone had died. And what an awesome opportunity for ministry and for the gospel. I'll tell you a quick story before I get to this passage in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, my phone rings. I'm on duty one day, and, and there's uh, dispatches calling me, asking me to respond with the sheriff's department to the scene where a 23-year-old man had died of a heroin overdose. And he, he, was, he lived with his parents. It was in the upstairs bedroom where he died. So I, I had an opportunity to go there and to, to love on a family that was grieving his death. It, it wasn't his first rodeo with the drug. He had been addicted to this drug. This family had fought this for years and years and tried to help him fight it. But in the end, they lost him to death through a heroin overdose. I minister to this family. I'm the closest thing that they know to a pastor. Anybody in their family, I'm the closest thing that they know. And they ask me to do his funeral. I go to his funeral. There's probably 50 people at this funeral. And it's one of the deadest funerals I've ever been to as far as the response from the crowd and, and how they, they reacted with me because I told personal stories about his life and, and just tried to get them involved with who he was and, and, and that we should learn from his death. And I shared the gospel with them, fully expecting no one to respond. And you know, seven people responded to the gospel that day. Now, how, how, many, how can you get these kind of opportunities if you don't go to where people are hurting? And that story continues. This, this uh, young man's mother came to us for grief counseling, and she knew the Lord uh, before the, we ever met her. And she sat down with my wife. Carter has a degree in biblical counseling, and she does grief counseling for us. And this lady sits down with Carter session after session, and, and the Lord softens her heart toward matters of the Lord. And, and now she has a burden to see her family come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Is that a cool thing? I mean, it's, I, I just, yeah, I, I love the fact that the Lord gives me an opportunity to go to where people are hurting, armed with the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the comfort of our Lord that every one of you have. If you know Jesus, 
is Lord and Savior. He has comforted you through something. And He wants to use you as that comfort to someone who's going through something similar. And then He wants to use you as being the presence of Christ armed with the hope of heaven. And that's how God wants to use you. Jesus saved you for that purpose. That's why you draw breath here on this earth. Now, when we get to our time of, uh, of invitation today, I hadn't been here in a while, and I don't remember what Pastor Clay does, so I'm going to do my own thing. And I've gotten in trouble for this before, but I, I'm going to take that risk. I've been in trouble with Clay Stevens many times. Yes, I have. And I'm thankful for a pastor full of grace, full of grace. I'm going to ask you to start thinking about something, and don't be afraid. Right now, I want you to start thinking. I want you to, because we're a note-taking church, because our pastor is the sermonator. We're, we're note-takers. And you might put this in your phone or write it down. I want you to think about your one. And what I mean by that is who's that one person that you know that God has laid on your heart that is far from God? To the best of your knowledge, they're probably lost and have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me, when I start writing this list, I cannot stop putting names on this list. But I'm only asking you, write down your one. Now, if you feel like you need to write down 5, 10, 15, or 20, you just keep on writing. I just, I, I, what I'm going to ask you to do is you keep that list and you take it home. You pray over whoever it is. And I'm going to give you some further instructions as far as praying goes. But I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to put you outside your comfort zone when we get close to finish today. Uh, Matt's going to come up and he's going to start playing some music and I'm going to give you some instructions. And I'm going to ask you to get together in pairs and pray for each other's one. You don't need to do anything else. Now, it's going to require... I want to, we're going to be standing and I'm going to ask you to get up and move around so that folks that are sitting by themselves don't feel so uncomfortable. And if you're visiting here today and this kind of weirds you out, uh, I promise you, Pastor Clay, I'd do this every week, so come back next week. If you came today hoping to hear Clay Stevens preach and you're disappointed, I want you to understand this. Nobody in this room is more disappointed than I am because I love to hear my pastor preach. However, I'm going to try to, to lead you through a passage of Scripture and inspire you to at least pray for your one and to move further than that. Y'all okay with that? Okay. Now, while you're doing that, also I'm going to ask you to pray for somebody else. Not only pray for your one, but also pray for somebody else to join you in reaching your one and their one. So remember that. That's all I'm going to ask you to do right now. Uh, prayer team sticker, uh, numbers are gone. I want you to turn your Bible to, to uh, Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 35 to 38. And I want to talk to you about how to, le- how to reach the lost in Raleigh. And this could apply anywhere. It's not just that a bunch of lost people in Raleigh. But do, do, y'all, do you know that there's over 2 million people now in the, the greater Triangle metropolitan area? 2 million people. And that means if you were to take all of Travis Stevens' money and, ca- and if he goes to the bank and he, gets, he says he wants $10 million $1 bills and you laid them end to end, it would be enough to reach to the moon. Now, I don't know about that. Now, that, that that's just, uh, uh, just an analogy or an example I wanted to give you because it, it, it could never happen because Travis ain't got $10 million, right? I don't know how far it would stretch, but 10 million, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, 2 million. It's 10 million people in the state of North Carolina. I'm not very good at math. I just want you all to know that. But there's 10 million people in the state of North Carolina. Now, what can we do to reach 10 million people? like you eat an elephant, right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do we reach 10 million people? One person at a time. Let's, uh, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Hey, before we do, I want to talk to you a minute about uh, who we are as Southern Baptists. Uh, we're Great Commission Baptists. There was even some talk one time about us changing our name to Great Commission Baptist. And what is the Great Commission? And that, that's, that's what God commanded us to do. Jesus, in his own words, told us to go and to reach the world with the gospel. Uh, here's the question that I want you to start thinking about right now. Uh, this, is, this is who we are and what we're about. How do we reach a lost and dying world that does not want to hear about our Jesus? 
How do we do that? And, and the world has changed over the past, since Cross Culture Church started meeting here on Leesville Road, the world has changed and the church has tra- changed drastically just in 10 years. And our, 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 uh, our city, our town, our community is growing by leaps and bounds and God is moving people from all over the world into this area with all kinds of, of, of beliefs and he's bringing this melting pot to our doorstep and he has strategically placed cross-culture church to reach your part of the world from right here. But the world has changed. Uh, people no longer beat the door down to get to the church. The church is no longer the center of the community. Uh, if, if you do a survey uh, today and you take the survey of, of religious preference, I think is what it's called, and people used to check off Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, you know, Jewish, uh, Muslim, whatever, now, almost 25% of the population would simply check none of the above. And that number is growing. That's the largest growing segment in the population of, of religious or non-religious belief, is none of the above. So the question is, how do we reach people that aren't interested in coming and meeting with us? How do we reach people that aren't interested in hearing from us? How do we reach people that we really don't have anything spiritually in common with. We want to find that common place in Matthew chapter 9, and we want to talk about how Jesus modeled for us to reach the community. And in this passage, he, thro- he shows us there are three steps that at least I want you to see. It's probably thousands of ideas in this one passage of Scripture, but there's three steps that I want to take you through and show you how Jesus reached people who really weren't interested in his brand of Christianity. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, look at this and read with me. I'll put it on the screen. I'm, I'm reading from the uh, HCSB, following your translation. Uh, but listen to these words. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Let's uh, let's take a minute and pray before I start talking about this scripture. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for an opportunity to be with friends today and to be with brothers and sisters who love you and and desire to see your kingdom advance and your kingdom come. So Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture and we we look at how you went about meeting people, Lord, touch our hearts and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, As I break this down for you, I want to assure you that I'm not trying to teach you a method for sharing your faith. What I'm after today is I'm after your heart. I'm wanting to talk to you about developing your heart to reach lost people in Raleigh, North Carolina. Now the first thing that, the first lesson that Jesus teaches us from this passage is simply go to those who are in crisis. Just go to people who were in crisis. Look at what the passage says. Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. What did Jesus do? Did he stay in Jerusalem where things were comfortable and hang around the synagogue where where people were coming to pray and they would bring their problems and their sickness and they would bring their issues there? He didn't just stay there. He went out. He went to towns and villages, and as he went, and the Gospels are full of Jesus going uh, place to place, and and sick people are coming out, and lame people are being carried to him, and and people that are blind are being brought to see him, and and even people that are dead, they're, they're asking Jesus to go see. There's a lot of problems in the world. There were a lot of problems then. It hasn't changed, and you can imagine in the Research Triangle Park area with two million people how many problems there are here in the triangle. If you think about your own life, your life is, is probably rife 
with trouble at times. This past week, I've, I've had the most troubling week in ministry, I think, in the 10 years since I've been a chaplain. I've had, it was like I was in the Himalayas, the, the highest highs and the lowest lows happened to me this week. And you know, your neighbors are going through the exact same thing. And, and if you notice in this passage, it also says that Jesus, as he went, he went teaching and preaching. Jesus didn't simply want to go and make the world a better place to go to hell from. He wanted to go and to meet people in their time of crisis and change their lives and introduce them to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the hope of heaven. He had a mission. He went out intentionally. He went out with purpose. And he went out on purpose. Now think about our chaplains when we go. We go intentionally. Our chaplains on our crisis team, they're on call 24 hours a day. They never know when the phone's going to ring. Our chaplains that do law enforcement chaplaincy, they're out building relationships with these, uh, these law enforcement officers, our firefighters, wherever they're assigned. They're building these relationships. And I had this opportunity uh, several years ago. I was early in ministry, and it was a law enforcement officer that I'd met. I'd done a ride-along with. We kind of we clicked. We, we, we kind of spoke the same language. And my phone rings one day, and he says, Hey, chaplain, you got a minute. I've got to tell you, those words are gold. If somebody that you know that you've been praying for, that you know is far from God, calls you up or runs into you and says, hey, you got a minute? Uh, hey, you're, you're in a divine appointment. Please don't miss it. You are in a divine appointment. I sat down at a Starbucks with this young man, and he tells me he was living in a relationship where he, he, was, uh, he and his girlfriend were buying a house, and she had decided that they, she didn't want to play house anymore and that they were no longer going to be a couple, and she kicked him out. Now he's without a, without a future wife, he's without a home, and he doesn't know what to do, and he comes to me. And I, sh- I try to turn him toward the gospel. Our, our motto for our ministry is turning those in crisis toward Christ. And I try to turn him toward the Savior, and he's not having any of it. This young man, he was 24 years old. He had never been in a church building, even for a wedding or a funeral. Is how radically unchurched this young man was. And I tried to, tried to talk to him about... Uh, eternity, and eternity just wasn't on his radar at this point. So I just decided I was going to love him, and I was going to be his friend. And we continued to build a relationship. Went to the same gym together. I'd see him from time to time. We rode together again. Four years later, four years later, after in, in, interjecting into a friendship, this man calls me. He says, hey, chaplain, you got a minute. Uh-oh. That's all I got to tell you. Well, he, he's getting ready to get married. He wants to know if I'll do his wedding. And through, through a series of premarital counseling and sitting down with him. His fiancée knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. She had made him uh, find somebody to marry them that would make them do premarital counseling. She had been taking him to church, and, and the building didn't fall down. And it was in, a, in that one session where Carter and I split them up uh, separately so they don't parrot each other's answers, where I got to go back and visit his salvation. And sitting in another coffee shop, I believe they're built, they're on holy grounds, right? Yeah, those coffee shops. This young man asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior sitting there. When I did their wedding, they, they wanted to do the Lord's Supper as part of their wedding ceremony. I'd never done that. I, you know, I ain't Catholic. You know, I, I don't do that stuff. I don't, it's it's kind of uncomfortable like I'm getting ready to make y'all when I ask you to get, get together and pray. I, I, just, I just don't know how to do that. So I have to go, I had to go Google, same place I found this sermon. No, I'm kidding. I'm, that always makes Pastor Clay nervous when I tell him I'm looking for something to preach on Sunday morning. So it makes me nervous. They want to do the Lord's Supper as part of their service. I ask them, why do you want to do that? And this young man, who's only been a believer for about a month, looks at me and says, we want our friends and family to understand that our marriage will be based on our faith in Jesus Christ, and we want to do it as a testimony to our lost friends and family. Is that radical? (laughs) I love it. And you know why? Because I went to somebody in crisis. God used me, and he wants to use you that same way. Jesus had a mission statement. Uh, Write this down in your notes. It's Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I'll put it on the board so you can see it. But it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That verse is Jesus' mission statement 
for his three years of ministry here on this earth. And he has passed that mission statement on to you and to me. The reason that we draw breath is to seek and to save the lost. Are you willing to believe that? Are you willing to buy into that? Are you willing to surrender and give in lot, stock, and barrel to Jesus Christ and let everything in your life be about this? About seeking and saving the lost? Well, you can't find them if you don't go to them. You have to go to where they are. You know that most people who come to faith in Jesus Christ as an adult do that during a time of crisis in their life. So where do you go? The reason I asked you to write down that one, and I know that if you've been thinking about this, you've got 5, 10, 15, or 20 people that you know. You don't have to go very far to find, to seek the lost, do you? Where are they? They're, they're next door to you. They're in the next cubicle over. They're at your family reunion. They might be sitting at your dinner table. You don't have to go very far to carry out the Great Commission. If I'm, going, if I'm going to reach the lost in my community, now I want to develop my heart for that, and I want to be thinking about going to where people are in crisis. It doesn't necessarily have to be a really bad crisis. There's good crisis in the world. Any of y'all have children? Well, let me just tell you, y'all have had a crisis ever since the day they were born. But what about that neighbor that ties that blue or pink balloon on their mailbox? that You really don't know them, but they've tied that, that uh, balloon on their mailbox. Could you have a ready-made baby gift to take to them or something to eat? Uh, fried chicken speaks volumes in the South for some reason, right? Could you go to their house and introduce yourself to them and go celebrate with them and start that relationship with them? Because like I say, those of you who, uh, who are, have children, you understand the crises that they are getting ready to go through, don't you? And I ain't just talking about changing diapers. Them little scoundrels grow up, if you know what I mean, and all of y'all were one one time. Everywhere we go, everywhere we look, there's crises. When we go into this crisis situation, I want to show you the second lesson that Jesus teaches us from this passage. Listen to it. I wrote this. I wrote, become brokenhearted for those who are far from God. So if you're writing it down, write down, become brokenhearted. Number two, write down, become brokenhearted for those who are far from God. And if you, if you miss it, don't worry. I'm, gonna put, I'm coming back to it. We'll leave it there a minute for those of you that are, are slow at handwriting or slow at typing. Become brokenhearted for those who are far from God. Let me show you in this passage. Jesus, it says when Jesus, it's verse 36, he looks out and he sees the crowds and what happens? He feels compassion for them. Why? Because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. I made the mistake this morning of going and looking up different translations of how the English translation took verse 36. I think you could lay out 10 different translations that come up with different words. Let me tell you what some of those translations say. This one says weary and worn out. He looks, these people are weary and worn out. These crowds, they're following him because they heard that, that he'll feed 5,000 people from a happy meal. They heard that he'll raise people from the dead. They heard that, he, that he'll heal sickness, that he can cause blind people to see. They heard this. And they were in trouble. And they came to him because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, one translation puts it, says they were harassed and helpless. Another one says they were confused and wandering. Another one says they were confused and aimless. Another one says they were troubled and wandering. Another one says they were distressed and dejected. And I looked at another one and I said, I'm not even going to write it down. It's got different words. And the English translators are struggling with this and exactly what it means. But this compassion that Jesus has for them is this gut-wrenching compassion where he is moved to, I mean, it's moved to, it hurts him all the way. It's a gut, it's a gut-wrenching uh, thing that as he looks out across these masses of people and says, here's the Ralph Thompson version. Them people's messed up. They just messed up. And why are they messed up? Why are people, 
Why are they far from God? We need to be brokenhearted because everybody has a different reason for being far from God. And we, we can't see them just through our lens. We have to, we have to understand there's a hundred different reasons why a hundred different people would be far from God. Let's talk about in, in the time that Jesus was walking on this earth. What's going on in Jerusalem? Jerusalem is under Roman occupation. And if you know a little bit about Western civilization, world history, you know that, that they have brought in, the Romans have brought their gods with them. And not a, their gods, where did they come from? They came from the Greek gods. They're just kind of renamed Greek gods. And, and there's, there's a, a flavor. It's like Baskin-Robbins uh, uh, spirituality. You know, it's 31 gods. They had hundreds of gods. You just make up a god for whatever that you want. It's the god of the day, flavor of the day. I mean, you, you just, whatever. They, there's all kinds of false religion in the world that the, that the pagans have brought in. But what's even sadder than that the Jewish leaders, the people that had the Old Testament scroll in the temple right there where Jesus wandered around and taught people, they had the very Word of God written down that revealed the Messiah and who He was, and He was there with them, and they were blind and couldn't see Him, and they were leading people astray. Shame on the church for doing that, right? So let's fast forward 2,000 years. I want to ask you what's different. What's different in our world? There's, there's a flavor of the day. I heard a pastor recently say that, that a, a lot of what we hear, you turn the TV on, you hear this Build-A-Bear theology. You know, you just make a God like you want one. You go and you put some pieces together, a piece of this and a piece of that. Others said that it's a Burger King theology. You have it your way. Make up your own God. And that, that's what, but see, the church, the church is responsible today. You can turn your TV on today, this morning, and you can hear a lot of good TV preaching. If you want to know somebody to listen to, you ask me. I'll tell you some good people to listen to. But don't take my word for it. Check them against God's word. Make sure they're solid. You need to do the same thing to me, and you need to do the same thing to your pastor. He wants you to do that. He wants you to check God. He wants you to dig in it for yourself. And you make that determination. It's your responsibility to know and to understand God's word. Your pastor simply leads you in how to do that. He equips you to do it for yourself. However, there's a lot of scoundrels in the world, and I could start naming them, but I won't because I'm, we're going to take this and put it on the WWW. It goes around the world, you know, the World Wide Web, and I never know if Joel Osteen's going to be watching. I'm sure, that, I'm sure that he wants to watch me preach sometime. He would be awesome if he would just read his Bible. I'm telling you, he's got a good crowd. He's got a great crowd, but he's not alone. And I, you know, you, it's, he's, he's an easy target because there's 20,000, 30,000 people there on a Sunday. But here's the thing about false religion is that no matter... Let, let me give you a math equation. I, I, I showed you all a little while ago how bad I am at math. Everybody knows what 2 plus 2 is, right? 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's non-negotiable, right? 2 plus 2, if I were to tell you it equals 5, y'all know what? I'm real close, but I'm wrong. And that's what false religion does. That false teaching, it will give you like 98% truth and 2% a mess, and it's wrong. And what happens in our world today, this is the reason that people you know, people that you see, uh, uh, people that you go to, people that, that you love, the, the person on your list, that one is far from God. And part of that is because of what even our churches, shame on our churches and pastors for false teaching, for not rightly dividing the Word of God. It breaks my heart when I, when I turn it on and I see some guy promising you the world. He's, he's telling you that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you'll just send him a dollar, if you'll send him some money, stay away from those scoundrels. Stay away from those folks that don't match up to this. But you know what? Here in this world, just like 2,000 years ago, there's plenty of stuff to choose from and distract those who are far from God further away from the truth, isn't it? Now, we've got false teaching in the church. We've got all kinds of New Age uh, spirituality, all kinds of stuff. Turn your TV on, any episode of Oprah, and she's going she's gonna to start telling you about all roads lead to God, and a and hundred other people will do that. And, and see, it's not the truth. The way is narrow. It's open to everybody, but the way to Jesus Christ is narrow. And no amount of feel-good theology will ever get you to Jesus Christ. 
And you need to understand that's why people are harassed and helpless. And sometimes people will say, well, I don't believe in any kind of God stuff, any kind of spirituality stuff. I just believe in me. Now, most people won't tell you that, but that's actually most of this comes down to I-ology is what it comes down to. And what it is is they, they do create that Burger King God that I have it my way. I just make it, I make one up for myself. My God would never do that. Well, I'm not quite sure who your God is. But you think about it. We live in a world of, of uh, advanced medicine. If you're sick, you just go to the best doctors in the world. They've got a pill for that. It, it, think about this. If you're in a troubled relationship, what, do you, what does our culture tell you that you need, to, you need to have? Our culture tells you that you deserve happiness. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You do not deserve happiness. What we deserve in our flesh is condemnation and separation from God. And it's only through His grace, His death, burial, and resurrection, His dying for, for me, for my sin on the cross, that I have any hope whatsoever for all eternity. But they, the world tells us if you're in a bad relationship that you need to be happy, so go get you a new wife. Yeah, I just got Carter broke in 32 years, and I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. And she's saying, some days I wish she would. I had laryngitis one time, and she said, I had laryngitis for two weeks. She said it was the happiest two weeks of her life. Our culture teaches us some mess, doesn't it? Through the thick and the thin, we're in a covenant relationship. It's a model of what Jesus, in the relationship that Jesus Christ has with the church. What a beautiful picture of the bride and the bride, the bride of Christ, isn't it? When you think about marriage. And our, our, our culture is all about trashing it. You need to be happy. God is not concerned with your happiness. Let me tell you what false teaching and all this stuff is. Uh, John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said this. He said, a thief, and in this context, Jesus is talking about false teachers, but anything that, that is false teaching, which would be uh, another person or the devil himself, can lead you this way. Jesus said, a thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. That's what the enemy has for every one of us before we knew Christ as Savior and for everyone who is far from God that doesn't know Him, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy any opportunity for their salvation. Now, he wants to do the same thing to you in your testimony and your witness, but that's a different sermon. I'm talking about people that are lost and far from God. This false teaching keeps them from God. And Jesus is talking to the lost, and He says, to finish the verse out, He says, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is the passage where Jesus, we go back to that shepherd analogy. Remember, Jesus said they were harassed and helpless, confused and aimless, whatever, all those words, like sheep without a shepherd. John chapter 10 is where Jesus is telling those who are listening to him that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. That's my shepherd. Don't you want that to be your friend's shepherd? Do your parents know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do your children? Does your brother, your sister, your grandchildren? Do you want them to know the Jesus that you know? Are you willing to surrender everything that you have to reach one for Christ? Not the world. Not 10 million people in North Carolina. Not 2 million people in the Triangle. To reach one? Would you give up everything that you own to reach that one person you wrote on your list for Jesus? Would you? That's a good question, isn't it? How do you become brokenhearted for the lost? Because you will never, you will never be able to reach them if you're not brokenhearted for them. We need to weep over the lostness of the people that we know. And that's why I want to encourage you to pray for people by name. Make this personal. People groups and counties and cities and nations and all that's good, it's a good way to pray. I want you to be personal in your prayer and there's a reason for that. I want to give you <clears throat> three ideas of how you can become brokenhearted for the lost. Now, they're not going to be on the board. This, 
this is something that uh, I just came up with this morning. So I, I, I tell Pastor Clay, because he, he puts a lot of time in his sermons, and I would tell him that uh, uh, when I'm preaching, I said, I hope the Internet's up. Y'all already heard that part of my story, right? It's a joke. I hope you know it's a joke. But I would tell him that good preaching's just like good bacon. It's, right, it's best when it's right fresh out of the oven. You know, when you can still smell the bread bacon. This, this is fresh out of the oven. I want you all to listen to this. Now, it might flop, but I want you to listen. How do I become brokenhearted for the lost? I want to give you three ideas. First, I would tell you, ask God. This is profound. Ask God to break your heart for the lost. Is that crazy? Now, let's just say, for instance, that there's a guy named, let's call him uh, uh, John, like John Doe. I know there's probably two or three Johns here, but uh, there's a guy named John at the top of your list, and you turn that into a prayer, and you say, Jesus, Lord Jesus, will you break my heart over John's lostness? Can you start praying that today? Pray for it. Ask God, ask the Lord Jesus Christ to break your heart for those who have been led astray, for that person who is blind to the gospel. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says that, that the lost have blinders on their eyes. Would you pray that, that the Lord would be willing to shake their world and even use you to shake it up so that the blinders would fall off of their eyes? Are you willing to do that? that, that that's a big task. I'm telling you, that's a different way than most of us pray for the lost. You may have done it for a long time. Uh, keep doing it. But it's a different way. And here's the second thing. After, as you're doing that, this may even help you more. Remember what Jesus saved you from. You've got, you got to stop and think about that. I got saved when I was 10 years old. I, I've, I've never had... I don't have this testimony from the guttermost to the uttermost. Y'all know those? Uh, where I mean, they're, they're really moving testimonies that God just reaches down and takes this dirty, filthy, uh, rotten, vile sinner who is in, in, in this mess of sin and just reaches in and just picks them up and pulls them out of it. And the thankfulness that somebody has for that is profound, isn't it? But do you realize that Jesus Christ saved you from the same thing? If you got saved when you were two years old, he saved you from the guttermost to the uttermost. He, he sealed your pardon early on, and He has allowed you to be in this world without a lot of strife as far as your concern for heaven and eternal life. But you have to remember, without Jesus, you are a dirty, filthy, rotten, scoundrel skunk headed to hell. That's who you are. And every one of you, every one of you have enough flesh in you because now we're to crucify our flesh right but man i still got parts of my flesh that's living how about y'all you've got enough of your flesh alive in you that ain't been fully crucified yet for you to understand that you are in your flesh worthless dirty filthy and rotten and capable capable of the worst sin that could ever be committed now, I'm praying that some of y'all live long enough to crucify some more flesh. That's my prayer for me. Hey, Lord, I, I don't want to go under anesthesia or get Alzheimer's and something inside me come out that ain't been crucified. Y'all, is anybody following that line of thinking right now? I want, if I end up with dementia, I want to be the nicest crazy dude y'all have ever met. spouting off Bible verses and praying for you and I don't even remember your name and you're related to me. That's who I want to be. Do you want to be like that? Remember what, what Jesus saved you from. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker. This is the third idea that I wrote down. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering. Let me see. I can't even remember. It's so fresh I can't remember what I thought. Uh, pray for it. Ask God to break your heart. Remember what Jesus saved you from. And the third one is just let me, let me tell you what to write down in your notes. Write down hell. I need to be burdened for the people that I love, even people that I just see and meet who are far from God, who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
their eternity, the richest man, the most moral man in the world, without Jesus Christ, has hell for their eternity, to be separated from God forever. Can you imagine what even Raleigh, North Carolina, would be like if God removed his presence from Raleigh? The stoplights wouldn't work. The police department wouldn't come. No fires would be put out. I mean, think about it. All, every bit of the order, that's just a, simp, that's a small taste of hell, if you can think of it. And that's what awaits those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it should move us to our knees to pray for them. We want, we want to go to where people are in crisis. We want to become broken-hearted for the lost. And this last point that I want to share with you, this last lesson as I'm developing my heart for lost people is this. Pray for more helpers to join you on the mission field. Pray for help. Now, as we read this passage, let's look at it. Uh, verses 37 38. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, the Great Commission has already commanded us to go. We know that part about who we are, right? Uh, Jesus has not delivered the Great Commission, but they're, they're under the Great Commission, his disciples, the people that he's telling this to. We should be going, and I'm not wanting to throw a, uh, try to throw a guilt trip on you, but this is what I want to tell you from this part right here. Remember, pray for people to help you. Remember that part. I'll get to it here in just a second. I'll unpack it. Pray for people to help you on the mission field. Because I promise you, if you will intentionally go to where people are in crisis, if you do that, if you make that a way of life, of reaching out to people, and you allow God to break your heart over the lostness of the world, you will be going with the gospel. But Jesus never intended for us to do this by ourselves. He never intended for us to do it alone, solo. Lone Ranger kind of, kind of stuff. This is what will happen. Now, you may be out there by yourself, and you look across these masses and you see all the people that are lost, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And God quickens your heart and says, I need some help. And your prayer is, Lord, send me help. I need some help. On my street, there's 22 houses. I can't reach 22 homes by myself. Lord, send me some help. There's a thousand people at my workplace. I can't reach them all, but I can reach one. And maybe this one is the one who's going to help me. Maybe it's somebody else that's a believer, and this is how you in inspire them to become part of your mission team where you are. Pray for help. Pray for God to send more help to you. Jesus tells us here the harvest is truly plentiful, but the workers are few. Don't worry about the plenty. Focus on your one. Focus on your five. Focus on your street. Focus on your family. When you're, the people you're building relationships with that you get to know, that you're loving on, that you're just loving on them in Jesus' name, have a crisis in their life, God will give you a divine appointment to go and to meet their needs what Jesus did. He met their needs and they were willing to listen to the truth. And this is where I'm going to ask you. We're going to get together and pray. And this is our closing. I know I've probably, I'm long-winded. I ain't seen y'all in a long time. And I love you so much. And I feel like God's given me so much wisdom. I just want to share it with you. And I apologize if uh, the, long, the line is long at the cafeteria when you get there. But let, I, I want us to do this. We're going to, uh, in just, uh, Matt's coming up to just make a little bit of uh, background music for us. We're going to spend a few minutes praying. I'm going to close us out, and, and we're going to uh, go to the house or wherever it is that we go. But I want you to think about this. It, it's, I want to give you some prayer pointers as we, we're thinking about. Uh, first of all, when I, I think about um, um, praying for people who are far from God, I think about, I think about Stephen. When I talk about Stephen from the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, he was stoned to death for, his fa uh, for preaching the gospel. 
And there's a really, <clears throat> it's a disturbing verse in a way that says, and Saul was there giving his approval. Saul later became Paul. Y'all know that guy. Here's what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. Now, this is my sanctified imagination. This ain't, uh, don't, don't be uh, calling my house and telling me I'm heretic or anything like that. It's sanctified imagination, but I want to see, can you agree with this for just a second? I wonder if while Stephen, if you think about it, he, he's, he's, been, he's been taken out and, and, and the, the rocks that are you know, as big as your hand, the church people are throwing them at him. And one hits him and he looks up and he sees this guy named Saul who's a church leader and his prayer at that time is, Lord Jesus, save Paul. Save him. It doesn't say that Paul was throwing rocks, but he was there. He's like, Lord, this is your chosen vessel to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Save him. He's there with hate on his face. He's incited the crowd to kill me. Save him. Can you imagine that? I wonder, was Stephen praying that for the man that would become the Apostle Paul? Can you pray it for the Saul in your life? Later on, as, as he becomes the Apostle Paul, I wonder if, if he was saying, Lord, I see that guy over there. His name's Silas. I think he can sing good in prison. I wonder if he said, hey, this is somebody that can help me. I'm out here. This harvest is great. And Silas is my partner. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.